It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Everybody and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 88, On Time in Montgomery. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, space. we have Paul Gann. Let's get a shift on. <laughs> <laughs> what gear? What gear are we shifting into? Hmm. <laughs> yes. How you doing, Paul? Uh, better than I deserve. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that's the answer you gave last week. Yes. Go with it. <laughs> We've got quite the episode to dive into this week. Yeah. We are going to be, of course, giving our review of the season 11 episode called Rosa. We'll dive into the spoiler stuff in a little bit, but first let me give you the details and uh, we'll give our spoiler-free reactions for those of you who have not seen it yet. As I said, this is Season 11, Episode 3, titled Rosa. It was written by Mallory Blackman and Chris Chibnall, directed by Mark Tonderai, who I believe is a South African director. And uh, this episode was filmed in South Africa. The synopsis for Rosa is as follows. Attempting to return home to Sheffield, the TARDIS instead drops the 13th Doctor and friends in 1955, Alabama, where somebody is planning on meddling with time. And no, it's not a meddling monk. Meeting seamstress Rosa Parks, the Doctor and her friends must work together to correct the flow of time and keep events in order before things go horribly wrong. This is actually the very first episode of Doctor Who that was ever written by a woman of color. Wow. Yeah. In the history of the show. Wow. Yeah. So that is in itself a milestone. Yeah. I find that very interesting and a little bit sad, but also kind of cool at the same time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because this, it, that's something that we should have been saying 10 years ago or whatever, not today, you know? Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> right. And also just one other interesting factor about this, the fact that at least part of the episode was filmed in South Africa and directed by a South African director is also kind of an interesting point that they're making, especially considering the apartheid situation that that country has had and the the very divisive racial 
issues that they've had as well. See, I, I was actually going to bring the irony of that up later on in the show, but since you've already brought it up, I mean, that, the irony of that alone is it, it's it's very it's it's almost shocking in, in in the fact that they chose to to film this in South Africa, considering the subject matter of this episode. Yes. Yeah, no, they, they were definitely out to make a point with this episode, even with where they filmed it. So, um, point observed and taken, Doctor Who. Point observed and taken. <laughs> All right, Paul. Some quick, spoiler-free thoughts on Rosa. <sighs> I, I, yes, there's a lot to this episode. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> first of all, this, this is a lot. There's a lot with this episode. And this episode, it'll probably be a little bit more of a serious episode, less goofing around because of the subject matter that it, that it deals with. It is a very well done, beautifully performed, beautifully shot episode that takes care to really craft the correct kind of story in such a powder keg of an environment that this episode deals with not only historically, but also with the way it can be viewed in today's world. But as an amateur historian, I kind of look at this more from a historical perspective, but I really enjoy is a, is a odd word to use here. I really liked the episode. It was very well done. This episode, I think will probably win awards. It was that well done. It's a very uncomfortable episode to watch, particularly if you are from below the Mason-Dixon line here in the United States. Mm, gee. Gee. Wonder. Who could that be? <laughs> Both of us. So it, it, is a, it is a very difficult episode to watch in, in some particular cases, but it was very well done, handled very well, and I think with a lot of care, which uh, came through in the performances, came through in the writing. This is a very good episode, in my opinion. It just deals with very difficult topics in a way that is more direct than I think we've really seen the show deal with any particular topic in a long time. Maybe ever. What do you think, Paul? I found it very impactful. I found it very empowering at the same time, though. And for reasons that some people might not think that uh, I would have found it that way, I like to see historical depictions of things that show the betterment and the growth of humankind. Yes. I like to see the, the events that took place that led us to be able to understand one another better than what we did even 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I feel like that, that those especially the events that take place in this episode, even though they're small events in the scope of what they were in the immediate moment, the ripple effect that they had on the future is so, so huge. I mean, it's, it's just, I, I can't even describe how much of an impact the small little events in this story have on the future as a whole. You know, it's it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, and I think that this did a really good job of portraying that. Yeah. The beginning of the, I guess you could call it the butterfly effect, which, mm -hmm. you know, that theory 
butterfly flaps its wings on one side of the world, and by the time it gets to the other side, there's a hurricane. Yeah, Interesting theory, but we're taking it literal in this sort of historical sense. But yeah, no, it, I think it was very well done. It dealt with the, the, the situation in the moment very well. Obviously, it's not 100% historically accurate. There are certain things in this yeah. where, you know, they, they condense certain things so that you get the, the sense and the feel of what was going on at the time in a way that, that you know, allows you to really get the scope of what everyone was dealing with in uh, Montgomery, Alabama in 1955. Right. But the way it dealt with the moment in particular, mm-hmm. and we'll get to that, we'll get to that later. Um, I don't want to start there. <laughs> But when we get to the moment... You don't want to start at the end like we did last time? Not this time. (laughs) (laughs) They dealt with that in a way that that left me speechless. But I I think that's a good place to end the spoiler-free discussion and start jumping into the episode directly. Spoilers. First of all, let, let's let, let's start with a softball section of the show. They, they show up in 1955, Alabama, because the doctor cannot control the TARDIS. She, <laughs> she she blames it on new controls, new console. She's still getting the feel of it. But you know, we all know that the TARDIS is doing what the TARDIS does and is, yes. you know, changing the plans. She finally acknowledges that, you know, look, if sometimes she just does what she wants to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is when she notices some oh uh, what kind of energy is it archon energy i don't know <laughs> time energy i don't care what what it's called it's some sort of time energy artron that's where it is uh, cybertronium yes <laughs> sure <laughs> that's from transformers coaxium <laughs> sorry that's that's from star wars and that's not even close to what we're talking about no <laughs> all right it's whatever comes from the rift. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since they visited that rift, by the way. <laughs> Just a bit. But she notices this this time energy, and she's got to figure out what it's doing here because it shouldn't be here. Right. Particularly when it is so close to a very important point in history. So, of course, being the TARDIS crew that they are, uh, you know, the Doctor, Graham, Ryan, and Yaz all go wandering about in 1955 Montgomery, Alabama without any frame of mind as to how a group of four people of their makeup is not necessarily the norm to be seen traveling around at this time of history. Which is really interesting when you think about it because we've had companions in the past like Mickey and Martha who have specifically said, you know, I don't really like the idea of going back in time for this reason, you know, and and they were right in thinking so. Right. You know, and and of course we get a a real quick wake up call with what we're dealing with and where we are when Ryan tries to hand a dropped glove back to a white woman and gets a fist to the face from her husband for even approaching Mm -hmm. them. How did you feel when that happened? I was taken aback at first. That, that happened, and I was just like, oh, my God. You know, it, it shocked me at yeah. first. Uh, but then I was, like, right there with the doctor trying to jump in the middle. And, you know, emotionally, I was trying to diffuse the situation so that, you know, nothing else happened. And we didn't get into any further issues. And 
I immediately went to, oh my god, we know what happens in the most extreme cases in Mm. this era, this kind of, you know, environment. There was lynching, which is, of course, what Rosa refers to when she talks about Emmett Till, a young man who um, was wrongly accused of essentially catcalling and was strung up and and murdered. yeah. Um, so just being historic, historically accurate with that, um, his accuser came back decades later and said that they lied. Right. Yeah. Right. That's messed up. Really messed up. Yeah. Um, what did you think, though, of of Rosa Parks being there to jump in the middle and to help defuse the situation and uh, address the mis- to straighten out the misunderstanding? Uh Let's just put it this way. This entire episode, as serious as the subject matter was and everything, had a slight Back to the Future vibe to me. Mm, I can see that. And I say that, all right, you, you know how, you, you've seen Quantum Leap, right? I have not seen Quantum Leap. You have not? No. Okay. But you should go You should go back and check that out at some point. It's, it's very Doctor Who-like in certain ways. But don't feel like you have to tiptoe around the plot if you need to make a point. But the gist of what I'm talking about is... Um, the main character of, of Quantum Leap gets put in situations where he has to go back and fix things in time that went wrong. Spoilers. He finds out by, by the end of the show that it's actually God that has put him in this position to go around and fix things that went wrong in time. And so when he goes and jumps into these situations... He's immediately in contact with all of the people that he needs to be in contact with in order to fix this situation in time. So this kind of felt like a cross between uh, an episode of Quantum Leap, Back to the Future, all of that kind of bundled into one because it's almost like the TARDIS put them in the position to automatically run into Rosa. Yeah. And so I, I chose to look at it that way rather than to be like, well, that was just way too coincidental, you know? Right. Um, and so I, I felt like that was kind of an, a, an interesting way to start the story. Yeah. I didn't see it as coincidental because it's also a, a, a very, you know, good way to kind of get thrown in with, with Rosa Parks as the main character because because they're now they're automatically aware of, of what's at stake and who's in danger mm-hmm. in all of this. Of course, this is when the Doctor begins to explore and try and find out who's trying to mess with time around Rosa Parks. Uh, let us deviate from Rosa and the main plot and talk about Crasco. Or should I call yes. him Crisco? No. That's what I wanted to call him the whole time. <laughs> Let's call him a food. Crasco. Uh, he's our, our baddie. Um, although he's not like as overtly involved in the plot as some other villains normally are. What do you think of, of Crasco? I felt like that he was a really kind of an interesting villain in that he was a direct callback to the time meddler. Mm. And he felt like he had a few more layers to him than some of your one dimensional characters that you get. Sometimes I felt like that they were subtle, but they were still there. And I don't personally think that they made it a hundred percent clear as to what his true motivation was in this scenario. And the reason why I say that is because they didn't outright call him a racist. They just, he said, 
this is the point in time where things started to go in the wrong direction. Now, what he meant by that was completely left up to the viewer. Yes. To then kind of assume that he means this or means that or whatever. And a lot of people automatically took that to mean that he was racist, but they never actually specified that in the episode. And so I kind of felt like that was kind of interesting, too, that they left that a bit vague. Because if you'll remember with the Time Meddler, he kind of had this vagary about him as well. He was making changes in time just to see what would happen. Right. Right. And this felt the same way to me, if you get what I mean. Yeah, although I I do think Crasco definitely had a particular goal in mind. Now, of course, he's a former inmate of the Intergalactic Prison. There's something embedded in him that he got at this prison that will not let him kill anybody. And so in order to disrupt the the moment that we will discuss later, mm-hmm. he has to change things around the moment in order to prevent that moment from happening. Right. Because you cannot confront Rosa straight on and just kill her and have it all be done with. Now, I wanted to address what you were talking about. We get a confrontation at the very end, towards the very end of the episode, between him and Ryan. Mm-hmm. where he tells Ryan that he has to put an end to this before you people start getting above yourselves or something to that right. effect. Now, we are never told specifically that Crasco is human. Right. And so because there's that ambiguity as to whether or not he's a, a human or a humanoid, he could be talking specifically about race. You know, he could be. Right. You could take it very straightforward on its face. Or he could be talking about the human race right. getting above themselves, getting above their kind. You know, that's sort of how I took that. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of took it a, a little bit broader than just with the what they're talking about here, because when you get the cultural acceptance, so to speak, the 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 mm-hmm. ability to move forward beyond racism in the way that Rosa Parks was able to help foster, right. Then the human race begins to coalesce around a singular identity as the human race and then maybe, you know, goes to consider themselves bigger and greater as they spread across the universe. That's the way I took that. Mm -hmm. I know that there were people that would not take it that way, but I took it that way more so because of the fact that I have seen the show (laughs) so many years and I know... I know how a lot of the non-Earth races look at humans in the show. Yeah. You know, they look at them as if they are, quote unquote, too big for their britches, mm-hmm. if you get what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. But, of course, that they left that j- just vague enough that you – it could mean very literally what we're dealing with here. It could mean what, what you and I are, are kind of taking it as. It could mean both. Right. You know, it, or it could mean something else. It, it is very – it is nebulous enough – to be interpreted by the viewer in whichever way they want. Now, I want to get your opinion on something. No. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. Because I've been seeing things on both sides of this argument in social media over the last few days, especially since the episode aired. I saw some talk about it before the episode aired, but it was more speculation. Ryan mm-hmm. uses this meddler's own equipment mm-hmm. against him. Yep. To send him to the past because he says, if you like the past so much, why don't you stay there? Mm-hmm. So he sends him to the past. Okay, so the doctor's already sent all of his other equipment back to the future where he came from. Mm-hmm. So 
at this point, there's a lot of people that want to speculate that he becomes the time meddler that the doctor meets mm. in his first incarnation. Now, I have some I have some some thoughts on that, and the reason that I feel the way that I do, uh, I'll explain that here in a minute. I don't think that that is the case, Mm-mm. and the reason I don't think that is the case is because how would he have gotten his own TARDIS right in the past when he had nothing when he was sent back in time? That would be the number one argument that I would have against that scenario. But at the same time, if it weren't if it were not for that one thing i could see how that could be looked at as a you know yes this could be this character so what what are your thoughts on that oh i don't think so um because i think crasco is too angry to to be the meddling monk to be the time meddler because the time meddler is sort of just messing around with time to see mm-hmm. what happens mm-hmm. crasco is angry and that anger gives him a very direct focus on what he wants changed mm-hmm. time meddler's just like I have this power. I have this ability. Let's just cross two wires, see what happens, and go with it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Crasco is... But there are some definite parallels between those two characters. Yes. It, it definitely. In, in particular, the, the way that they're operating. Now, the, the interesting thing about that situation when Ryan, who has been told not to use that device because it is a dangerous device, has snuck it and fiddled with it mm-hmm. and said, well, I just turned it back as far in the past as it looked like it would go and zapped him with it. Yeah. He, he could have essentially, just, you know, killed Crasco. And I thought they were going to address that in the show when they didn't. I think the reason that wasn't addressed in the show is because I think it's not the last time we've seen that character. That's an interesting idea. You know, I, I don't <laughs> know. That would be very interesting if Crasco were to show back up again. I yeah, Doctor Who's been good about that in the past, about leaving things hanging out there for people to speculate over until they get ready to use it again. That's true. So. That's true. <laughs> or giving things just a nebulous enough end so that if it's successful and if people want it, then they go, hey, let's bring him back. You know, <laughs> it's called keeping <laughs> options open. But it is. it was a very, you know, a little bit of a shocking way to, to have Crasco dealt with. Um, mm-hmm. Especially by someone who is emotionally raw and, and, and struggling with all what's going on as, as Ryan is. Of course, Ryan is right. taking the brunt of the social issues of the day and the issues that Rosa has dealt with her whole life. And he's feeling that all at once in a way that nobody else in his group is. So he's incredibly raw emotionally. You know, I was scared that we were going to have some sort of very bad confrontation between Ryan and Crasco. And it turned out to be, you know, something that worked in the show. Mm-hmm. But I think if, if Ryan, particularly since, since when he tells them what he did, it's so close in time to the moment that they are trying to ensure happens that they kind of gloss over it. And he kind of got away with, you know, some bad behavior, I think. And I'm wondering if, if, if that will manifest itself in him trying to get away with that kind of stuff again. Yeah, that's that's what I was fixing to say. Um, or you notice my southernisms coming out. I'm fixing too, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, that's that's something I was about to say. The, the last episode uh, when the doctor uh, scolded him about the, uh, his violent tendencies or whatever. Yeah, with, uh, the, with the, gun, the guns. And, you yeah. know, uh, this seemed like that he had kind of learned a little bit from that scolding, but still wanted to do 
what he wanted to do anyway. Mm-hmm. So he used a less violent tactic, quote unquote, but but still went against what the doctor wanted him to do. So he's still a loose cannon at this point from that point of view. Um, and I do wonder if that's something that's going to come back uh, later on in this series and become a bigger issue. Yeah. Um, if that's going to be something that's going to cause a bigger ripple effect than what he thinks it might cause and might actually increase on the amount of chaos, let's just say, that we have going on in the uh, the scenario. Yeah. I don't know. He's Let's talk about Ryan a little bit. A little bit more specifically, you know, what, what did you think about Ryan in in this episode? I think he's got a lot of anger, and I think yeah. that I don't I don't think the anger is necessarily just based on what happens in this episode. I think no, he, no. I think he came into this episode already having the anger. And well, I mean, let, just real quick to you know back that up. When we first are introduced to him, he gets so angry that he can't ride the bike that he hurls it off the mountain. Right. So. He's an angry kid. But I I feel like that is one of the reasons why he can't let Graham in to his life is because he's so full of anger. And I think that we've got uh, the dynamic there of of Ryan's anger juxtaposed to uh, Graham's stability. Mm -hmm. And the two are not meshing together because Ryan won't let go of his anger. And I feel like that that that's going to have to be something that's going to be addressed throughout the the evolution of this character because if he doesn't let go of that anger, it's eventually going to affect him in a negative way. Yeah, And I feel like that that is one of the things that made the opening introduction to this episode for him mm-hmm. even more impactful because of the fact that when that slap happens, you're, you're immediately thinking he's going to retaliate. Right. And I, right, which I, is, I saw it in his face. He almost retaliated, you know. Right. Um, but then he said later, he said, it's a good thing that my nan taught me how to hold back my anger because yeah. that could have ended in a really bad way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, it could have. Um, Oof. I I think the the relationship between Ryan and Graham is definitely something that I'm really looking forward to see how they develop because the two of them work well together when they have a task and they're, you know, jumping in the middle of stuff, you know, the two of them go out to the river to, you know, trick uh what's his face? Oh, uh, that was my most favorite scene. <laughs> yeah, James Blake when they go out there to to trick James Blake <laughs> to to go back to town. They're playing off each other so well. It's like they're finishing each other's sentences. They're on the same page. Everything's going great. Graham takes James's seat. And, you know, Ryan's just like, yeah, 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 whatever. And they're talking about being grandfather and grandson. And they're, yeah, great. It's so good. And James Blake leaves. And Graham's like, That's, that was great. You know, he goes to give Ryan a fist bump. And Ryan immediately withdraws everything. Yeah. I think what scared Ryan is how easily he fell into that kind of relationship with Graham. Mm-hmm. And when Graham went for the fist bump, Ryan snapped out of it and realized what happened. He was like, uh-uh, nope, I didn't want this, you know? And so he retreated back into himself away from He's Graham. He's like, no, don't ever do that. Exactly. You know? <laughs> but that that was... <laughs> trying to be, oh. like, trying to play it off like that's just not cool for you. But I really think it's like, no, well, no, 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 I gotta, I gotta back away here. One of the things that I thought was so entertaining and so funny 
about that scene is it was almost like it was a direct play off of the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Where they're going fishing, you know, and it, it was very, I, I, I really enjoyed watching that guy kind of knot himself up in a ball and be like, you can't fish here. I, I, you know, and he, he, he literally, it was his, he, his body language. It was almost like he tried to curl up on himself like a dying spider or something, and, <laughs> you know, and be like, don't touch me. You might rub off on me or something, you know? And I'm like, really? Seriously? You know? <laughs> right. Um, but uh, no, that was, that was one of my favorite uh, scenes of, it might've been my most favorite scene of this episode was seeing them mentally mess with the racist guy in that moment because because of the fact that yes. his entire hang-up in that entire situation was based on his own mental uh, limitations that he had put on himself. You know, it, it was it had nothing to do with the reality of the situation. It was all based on what he had fixed in his own head. Yeah. No, it is... Uh, it was such a it was such a fun scene. I liked that scene a lot. Although one other really cool moment for Ryan in this episode was when he followed Rosa home and got to meet Dr. King. Yes. That was yes. a really cool moment. He was so enraptured in that moment that he kept calling everybody by their full name. Yes. Dr. Martin Luther King. <laughs> yes, Rosa Parks. <laughs> Whoa, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Martin Luther King. <laughs> uh, Mr. Sinclair? Yes, Rosa Parks. <laughs> Whoa, that's cool. <laughs> that coffee's not going to serve itself. <laughs> no, Rosa Parks. <laughs> while, while I'm thinking about it, what did you think about the, the southern accents in this? Oh, I, the actress who played Rosa was was great. I, I loved her. Um, I, I think she got some really good mannerisms down. The I I've met Southern black women who have talked like that, although she was yes. more subdued than they were. Um, <laughs> so, um, although I will say some of the the other twangs going around were definitely uh, more put upon and a bit more egregious, but I think the ones that mattered. Uh, were done very well. The reason I ask <laughs> is because I've heard somebody talk about that before. It's like in shows like this or movies like this, uh, most of the time you you don't hear the actual uh, inflection of someone who actually lives in that region or whatever. Most of the time you either hear the rich plantation owner that talks like this, son, you know, right, or you hear the most redneck you know, hillbilly, you know, southern drawl that you'll ever get. It talks like this, you know, mm -hmm. and you don't really you don't really get the actual in between of the real inflection of, the, of how people would speak. You know? the, the, the southern accent, the one that really <laughs> was like, don't ever do that again uh, for me was the waitress. I was like, don't ever speak in a southern accent again. You know, she had that southern sugary sweet sort of yes. sound yes. Um, and I'm like honey you ain't no southern bell you're working in a diner so 
Well, that that almost comes off like the plantation owner, though. You know? Right, exactly. The Southern um, Belle. Yeah, she, she, <laughs> that she's the one that everything is lavished upon, and yeah. that, that sort of thing. That's what that accent is. And no, you're a waitress working in a diner. You know, <laughs> roughing it up a bit. Thank you very much. I'm sorry. And well, the, I, other, the other thing that bothers me, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here. I'm going off on a tangent here. The other thing that bothers me is about movies and things that take place uh, in the southern United States, particularly when they're done by English companies or Hollywood companies that have no interest in actually being accurate, is that you'll often get the hillbilly twang from like the you get the hillbillies, the hillbillies from the Appalachians, you know, West Virginia and things like that down in, in Georgia. And that yeah. bothers me. And I'm like, that's not even <laughs> remotely geographically close. So <laughs> I'm sorry. This, as someone who's lived in the South for basically my entire life, I, I, I have the ability to pick up on some of the differences that we have. And it bothers me sometimes when we just kind of get, uh, pardoning the pun here, whitewashed. Um, <laughs> as an accent group. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, let's be honest. People in Florida don't talk the same way as people in Tennessee. Nope. Uh, you know, people, people in, in Georgia don't talk the same way as people in Mississippi or Texas. So, you know, it's it's very different. It's very different. <laughs> Regional dialects are a thing, and there they are, are very distinct in the southern United States. <laughs> there are similarities, but it's not identical. You know? No. But that was a tangent that we didn't necessarily need to get on. Well, <laughs> Let's I, get back to the, I, the show. Know, as, as someone who has spent their entire life either in Mississippi or Alabama, I notice things like that because mm. uh, there, are, uh, there are a lot of times they get it spot on. There are a lot of times they do, but there are more times than not where it's completely over the top. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Just just had to to bring that up. All that to say, there were some egregious ones, but Rosa was spot on. Although, I, you know, like I said, I I, I know some Southern black ladies who who talk like that, except they were much more animated than she was. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but uh, let's, let's, jump back in here yasmin didn't have a ton to do in this episode but what did you think about yasmin in this episode well she definitely wasn't a mexican no no i mean even though one called her a mexican yeah um i felt like that she was a bit more of uh ryan's voice of reason in this yeah yeah Uh, because you have uh, on a couple of occasions where she kind of pulls him back in and kind of brings everything back into context for him. Oh yeah. Not to say that anything that's going on in that, in that arena is okay, but she kind of helps him to look at it in a different perspective, a broader perspective. Right. Um, and so I kind of felt like that even though she had a smaller role, once again, in this, she kind of had a, an important role. Yes. And I think that's something that's good to note is that her, desire to help and to you know protect and to care for people mm-hmm. is something that we've definitely seen from the beginning um, and it was very apparent here in this episode so that's a, that's a good thing to, to point out now I think next episode we're really going to start finding out more about Yaz and we'll talk about that when we briefly you know discuss what's coming next week but um, I uh, 
I just got to bring up the fact that uh, Graham, in order to talk his way out of a confrontation with a police officer, <laughs> called himself Steve Jobs and essentially pitched the iPhone as the invention he was in town <laughs> to um, to try and get a patent for. <laughs> That's so good. That yes. is so good. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Graham is probably the character that has grown on me the most since this series started Mm -hmm. and it's getting to the point, at least for me that when he's on screen, he, he kind of is stealing the spotlight a little bit from Yaz and Ryan. If you get what I'm saying. Okay. Just because he has that, that, uh, is a charm to him. Yes. He has that charm to him that, that makes him a likable character. One of the things, though, that I noticed the most about Graham in this episode is that he has gone from being a character at the first episode of this series who was being withdrawn and and coming off like he was afraid of everything Mm -hmm. to standing up and saying, this is my grandson in the South of 1955 and not being afraid. You know, he was basically fearless at this point. And he was saying, this is my grandson. And that was something that was that was kind of a, um, a thing that made me look at Ryan and go, seriously, man, what's wrong with you? <laughs> because this man, you know, he could have been lynched just for acknowledging that he was even associated with Ryan. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But he didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. And no, it's... so to see him go from the one uh, type of character to the other type of character in that moment. It was like he, he made up his mind at that moment. I'm going to be fearless. Mm-hmm. And, and that made such an impact on me because um, I want to, I want to think that I would be that kind of person in that kind of scenario. If, if I was put in that position myself, right. you know? Right. Um, yeah. That's, that's something that I really noticed about him in this episode. And and the fact that he's starting to learn to play along with the doctor, um, you know, when he puts his arm around her shoulder, (laughs) pretending like they're husband and wife. (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. (laughs) But the doctor clearly didn't like it. (laughs) She's like, I'm not used to this. (laughs) Oh, uh, this, is, uh, this is the third episode in a row where she has clearly stated, I am not used to being a woman. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. She's, uh... <laughs> She's still getting used to the oh. idea. Um, <laughs> we'll probably end up three or four seasons down the road if she regenerates into a man again going, oh, man, I was just getting used to being a woman. You That's know? what I foresee. Yeah. Uh, but I don't look. Even if she has multiple incarnations as a woman, I think that once she re- regenerates into a man again at some point, that will be what she says. I had just gotten used to being a woman. And <laughs> I, I feel like that that at that point, you know, it doesn't matter. It, it could be, you know, six, seven, eight years down the road. You know, I think that that's going to be the first thing that she says. I, I had just gotten used to being a woman. Unless, unless, unless the next 
you know, incarnation is a ginger or something, you know. <laughs> right. Well, that would just get the doctor all excited and hot and bothered. <laughs> I'm finally um, a ginger. <laughs> finally a ginger. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the moment. Everything has been building around this entire episode of making sure the moment where James Blake orders Rosa Parks to the back of the bus and Rosa doesn't stand up and move to the back of the bus. She remains seated, thus getting herself arrested and then inspiring the protests and the Montgomery bus boycott that almost drives the bus companies out of business and really begins to jumpstart what becomes the civil rights movement headed up by her friend, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Crasco has done everything he can to avoid this happening from sending Blake, from basically giving him the day off. And then when that doesn't work, putting his bus out of commission. And when that doesn't work, he's put up flyers at every bus stop saying that the buses aren't running. And then he tries to block the road in order to prevent them from getting to the right stop. And he's doing everything he can to make this situation not happen. And he has some sort of an impact because when they get to the proper stop and the doctor and Yasmin and Ryan and Graham are going to leave and let history take its course, there aren't enough people on the bus without them. And before we get to the moment with Rosa, I wanted to really quick address Graham's moment in in this when he realizes he's about to be part of history. He's like, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to watch this happen. Right. Because he felt like it was going to hurt his heart too much to Mm -hmm. see this go down. Yeah. And honestly, were I in Graham's situation, I probably would have said the same thing. I don't I don't want to be a part of this. This is Mm -hmm. of all the moments in history to be part of. This is not one I would want to be a part of and making Mm -hmm. this terrible moment happen even though it serves a greater purpose especially since they've gotten to know rosa right a little bit and the 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 thing about that too when the event does take place and when everything does go down the way that it's supposed to in history and rosa steps off the bus and looks back up into the window she gives them this knowing smile as if to say i know why you didn't say anything well they did kind of have a that conversation right in front of her but what i'm saying is it was almost like she understood yeah this is what was always supposed to happen and it was up to me to step up and take on this 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 uh, event on my own you know Mm -hmm. and that knowing smile i think might be what broke me because she uh, essentially forgave them right there it was her way of saying it's okay i know what i'm doing mm-hmm. and uh yeah i mean i mean i'm just gonna be honest this this is one of the most impactful episodes that i've seen in a really long time as far as yeah uh, as far yeah. as a social commentary as far as um historical events you know that kind of thing because we haven't gotten as many historical events in recent years as what we had gotten. Right. Which with, I miss, especially with the classic series, you know, right. All the classic series um, did them all the time, especially early on. Right. And so this was something that I really enjoyed going back to, not just for the historical aspects of it, but also for the impact that 
I think that it, it actually has in helping people to remember. Yeah. And, and that's something that I've, uh, that I have, have heard people talking about before this episode ever came out or anything. One of the things that I've heard said from somebody who's wiser than me was you need to be able to go back and look at our past long enough to learn from it, but not so long that you live there. Mm. And what they meant by that was if you go back to something like this and you live in this type of environment in your mind, then everything that has been accomplished by those people in those moments who brought us to where we are today means nothing because you've not learned anything from what they did. Yeah. Because you will live in that moment and you will get right. angry at things and you right. will not grow past the bad right. and take the lessons that were learned and the, the things that were done in order to advance right. things to where they are. Right. And so what that taught me, of course, I, I already kind of was in that mindset already anyway, because I always kind of have been. But what that taught me was if you're living in the past, you can't move into the future. Mm-hmm. So I, I really felt like that this kind of it did a good job of calling back to the past, but not trying to make you dwell on it too much, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because of the way that the, the episode ended, especially where the doctor is showing them the events that followed what happened in this scenario and showing them how it led to where we are today. And even to the point to where there is an actual asteroid now named Rosa Parks. Yeah. That's an actual real thing. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I thought yeah. that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's amazing. When, when you have made such an impact that not only did you essentially help to jumpstart the civil rights movement, you years and years and years later are awarded the Congressional Medal of Freedom. Mm-hmm. And you have a celestial body named after you. Yes. I don't think there's very many presidents <laughs> of the United States that have a no. celestial body named after them. Um, no, I, I really, I felt like that the respect and the, the tonality of everything and how this was done uh, really says a lot about the, the showrunners and, and, and uh, everybody that w- took part in creating this. I think, I think they did a really respectful job. Yeah. Yeah. It was done incredibly well. And the moment plays out basically in silence. There's no music until Blake runs out to call the police to arrest Rosa Parks. Yeah. And then we get, uh, what is it? Rise up. Is that the name of the song? Yes. Which to be honest, kind of took me out of the moment for a, a minute. Really? It did. I, I, I don't know why. It, it, the you know probably because we don't normally hear that type of music in Doctor Who, right? We don't, and so it 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 did take me out of the moment for for a bit and kind of surprised me. But now that I, I think about it, and I think upon further watch throughs, I think it'll it'll really you know work for me. But it, when it first started, it took me off guard and kind of took me out of the moment for just a, just the briefest of minutes. Um, but you know, I was immediately back into it, and, and you know, tearing up by the end of the episode. Um, 
as soon as the whole episode ended and the credits started to roll, I sat back in my chair and just like let out the breath I'd been holding for the past five minutes, <laughs> you know, and and kind of just yeah. let myself feel everything that had just happened. I was already <laughs> at the point of, you know, holding back tears before that music started. That music started <laughs> and um, let's just say it drew me even more into the moment because uh, that's when the tears started flowing for me is when that music started, you know, it was just such a powerful moment for me in that episode. Um, and if you think about it, uh, not just because yeah. of, of the accomplishments of that person in that moment, but also because of the, the, the mindset that it puts you in to think about how, those moments uh, are key moments for the human race as a whole, because, yeah. you know, it, it makes you think about, you know, uh, the accomplishments of all of the other historical figures that have put themselves out there and done more than what was believed possible for them. And so for me, you know, this was a triumphant episode as a whole beyond the subject matter that it was talking about just in the episode. You know, it was talking about, human resilience and, and everything and, and our ability to rise above our adversities and stuff. And, and it, not just from a yeah. racism or racial point of view, uh, but uh, from, uh, you know, a classism uh, point of view or a um, uh, sexism point of view or however you want to put it, you know, I mean, when any time that, that a human being can rise above adversity, mm -hmm. It just, it's powerful. It is. And one thing I do want to say about this episode along similar lines is that while it does deal with some very harsh realities of actual things that happened in the South, you know, the, the, the atrocities committed against people specifically because they had a darker level of melanin in the most superficial outer layer of their skin. Right. Even though we deal with, with some horrible things and some horrible viewpoints in this episode, the episode comes across as incredibly hopeful mm -hmm. because the doctor, Rosa, it just uh, a, a lesser extent, Yasmin in particular, you know, the, the other companions too, but they all are looking towards the future, how this helps, how this makes things better, and and that kind of thing, and that the 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 outlook and the optimism and the the hopefulness that they are are acting in. And, you know, operating in permeates this episode so that when the moment comes and Rosa is arrested, you feel everything. You feel everything from Rosa that she has done. She's had enough. She's going to, to, to put her foot down and she's going to say no. Mm -hmm. And then you feel the hope kind of burst for our TARDIS crew because they they ensured history stayed on course. And then you see that kind of reflected when she gives them that knowing smile on her way out of the bus in her, even though we find out that, you know, she lost her job her husband lost his job and they mm -hmm. still experienced so many hardships after this. Right. But it was the tipping point and ultimately they won. Right. And the, the sense of hope in this episode and the, the sense of optimism really comes across in this episode 
in spite of the, the difficult and painful subject matter that we are dealing with when it comes to, to racism and that sort of thing. There are some who think that this episode was uh, possibly the, the boldest episode that Doctor Who has ever had, and I'm not going to say that it's not. I'm going to say that this particular story could not have been told in this show back in 1963. No. It could not. But this show did, back in 1963, address this exact topic in its very second story arc, The Daleks. Mm -hmm. It addressed racism in that story arc, and it did it in a way that was palatable for the viewership of that time. Yes. So this is not the first time that Doctor Who has addressed these types of issues. Uh, it's just the first time that I can recall that it has addressed these issues head on like this. Correct. Um, yes. And I feel like that that, that is very bold. Uh, and I, honestly, I don't even know that they could have, have felt comfortable in doing this episode just 10 years ago. Right. I think that we have gotten enough distance now from the events that actually took place that it is now more of a palatable story for people to be able to to say you know hey this is something that we can address and 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 look at in the way that it's intended and while while we're calling it palatable it is it is in no means gentle no in in addressing the no. issue it deals with it head on in probably the most direct way the show has ever dealt with this issue before right. so I, I i give them huge props for for doing that for tackling this right. in the way that they did and for finding a way to address the issue head on it, it walked a very delicate balance of mm -hmm. of really addressing and calling out racism without attacking the people who who displayed those tendencies and it was a very thin line that they were able to to walk and they thread that needle perfectly i just you know mixed a whole bunch of metaphors in there but <laughs> they they did it expertly and i i give them huge props for the way they were able to pull it off and don't get me wrong i mean i know that there's been other things that have come before uh that address this type of stuff you know um i mean roots you know is a one that comes to mind immediately. Mm -hmm. um, right. Uh, so, I mean, it's not, when I say palatable, I'm not talking about palatable from a standpoint of this is something we've not seen uh, in, you know, these, in this time or era or whatever. It's something that we've not seen in this particular show. Right. In that way. So there is a difference. Um, and I think it's because mostly this show has tried to address those types of issues in an indirect way, in a way that, makes people think, but not in a way that puts it in your face. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that might be something that we're going to see uh, done very differently now with, with Chris Chibnall. You know, he's not going to be as standoffish when it comes to some of the bigger issues and stuff uh, in the show. And he's going, I think, to be a more prone to just say, here it is, you know. And if you don't get it, then maybe that's on you and not on the rest of us, you know, kind of thing. So I'm very interested in seeing where the show goes from here. Yeah. Because this is a pretty big stepping stone in the show itself. Yeah. Uh, to do that. 
I think the only other episode that I can think of off the top of my head that has this kind of an impact and not in the not in the way of, of how it addressed you know the the racism issue but kind of impact as far as the characters that we saw and experienced is Vincent and the doctor mm-hmm. the Vincent van Gogh episode with well, Matt Smith that addressed uh, depressions uh, and suicide yes <laughs> that's what I was gonna say that, that addressed suicide uh, and and the things that lead to that and when I saw that episode I was like oh wow they actually went there you mm-hmm. know because I, I kind of almost expected them to leave it in a way that it wasn't actually addressed at the end of the, the episode is to say, well, he, he killed himself, you know, mm-hmm. especially in the Matt Smith era. I kind of expected them to kind of, as you said before, whitewash that part of it and not bring it up, you know, mm-hmm. but no, they didn't. And yeah, you might be right. That might be the most, uh, socially conscious, you know, in your face thing that they've addressed prior to this, you know? Yeah. I mean, that, that might be the one thing that has this, a, a similar kind of impact to this episode. That's the only thing that that kind of correlates that you can kind of group mm-hmm. together with this episode that I can think of. Which, I mean, that's something that needs to be addressed as well, you know, yes. because that is something that, that people seem to shy away from is uh, issues of mental instability and and things of that. A lot of times people want to just kind of pretend it doesn't exist. Uh, the same way with, with racism and stuff. Sometimes people want to pretend it doesn't exist. You know, if we don't acknowledge it, maybe it will go away, you know? Mm-hmm. And to be honest, um, that's never going to be the case. I no. mean, it, you're always going to have to deal with those kinds of things. And um, I, I'm proud to say that as a society, we have come as far as we have, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it is so much better in general than what it was back in 1955. It you is, know? it is by no means um, perfect, but I, I, I'm proud to say that as a man who is from Alabama originally, there has never been racism in my house. There was never racism in my parents' home. So that is to me a huge thing, you know, huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Believe it or not, regardless of what a lot of people think, there's not as racism in the South is not it's not what people in the North, I think, would assume that it is at this point. You know what I mean? It's not it is not as socially entrenched as some like to think it is Uh, out of all the people that I know. I think I might be able to think of maybe one person, uh, two people tops that have any issues at all in that area and they're all of older ilk and um they're not necessarily people that i'm around very much if you get what i'm saying yes they would have been people from before the era of this episode Mm -hmm. and uh you know like even even with my grandparents my grandparents from you know alabama their whole lives um they were i say were my grandmother's still alive my grandfather's passed but they would be in the category that would be somewhere in the middle in this scenario. They would not be the people who would be the type of people that you would see in this episode being abusive to other people and talking mean to other people, or they wouldn't be on the other side of it. They would be the people who would say, well, this is just the way it is. And we just got to keep our mouth shut. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that's, I'm not saying that's right either, but I'm, that's one thing that this, that this episode did not depict is the people who don't look at other people in a racist manner, but just don't speak up 
and say anything about it because they just think, well, that's just the way it is. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that I think if, if this episode in itself has any real fault at all, it's the fact that they didn't show anyone in that middle, that gray area, that middle area mm-hmm. that that was not a racist person, but just was afraid to tip the boat, if you get what I'm saying. Right. And yeah. and so that that would probably be the only the only thing that I would say that that this episode had a shortcoming in is that area. Yeah. I would agree with that. All right. I, I think, Paul, what you just did is a great way to wrap up our discussion on Rosa. I just want to give one fun fact here. Vinette Robinson, who played Rosa Parks in this episode, has appeared in an episode of Doctor Who before in, in the modern era. Can you... Did, did you recognize her at all, Paul? She was really familiar, but I'm having difficulty placing her at this point. She was in a David Tennant episode. It was called 42. Oh. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this is when uh, Martha was the companion. And they get stuck on this spaceship uh, that's tumbling towards the sun. And they got to, you know, race through all the, the doorways in order to get to the the cockpit so that they can start the ship back up and restart it and everything. And she's one of the, I think she's the medical officer who gets killed by the, uh, the possessed crewmate. <laughs> yeah. So she's been in Dr. Who before. So if you thought she looked familiar, <laughs> she, she should be. And, and apparently she's also uh, voiced a character in a big finish audio drama called dead to the world uh, with Sylvester McCoy. So she's met seven. Mm-hmm. She, she's met the seventh doctor. So, Although I can't, from this article, it's hard to tell if that's a Doctor Who audio play or if it's just a a big finish audio play. But it's called Dead to the World, and she was in it with Sylvester McCoy. But yeah, there you go. If you if you thought Vinette Robinson looked familiar, she should. It's been a while because I think that was you know season three <laughs> of the modern era of Doctor Who, and we are now in season eleven. But yeah, fun fact there. All right, so as we close this down, we got to rate the episode. How many I no, not iPhones. Um, <laughs> it's a little too abstract. Um, how, how many buses are we going to rate this episode, Paul? No, it's going to be a 10. 10? <laughs> 10 buses? Uh, yeah, I think I'm right along there with you. They, they, this is a 10 out of 10 for it's me. It's a 10. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was so good. There, there was the, the, the hope, the... Uh, seriousness of the issue, the uh, conversations that it, you know, inspires you to have. This is an award-winning episode, and I will be shocked if it doesn't win any awards. Um, th- th- this will resonate for a long time to come. All right. I think we should look ahead to next week just briefly. Episode four is titled Arachnids in the UK. And it appears from a preview clip that was released that the Doctor has gotten everybody back to Sheffield in modern time and uh, gets invited in for a cup of tea at Yasmin's place. And based on some other promotional images I saw on Instagram today, it looks like we get to meet the family. I didn't want to be spoiled by this this clip, but I was. Um, This clip has a very, very Matt Smith vibe to it. (laughs) <laughs> um, because you, you, in this moment, you get that, uh, if you remember when, uh, Amy and Rory invited the doctor in 
you know, when he was going to leave and they invited him in and they're like, no, look, you're part of the family, you know, Mm -hmm. and you kind of go back to that moment again. It's almost like she's saying, okay, I have to leave. I don't want to leave. Why do I have to leave? You know, (laughs) right? (laughs) and and it's that awkward moment of, I, I don't want to impose on anybody. I know they have their lives but I just got to know these people and I don't want to be alone again, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, if you'll notice the doctor it in the past has always done better when he or she is not alone. Yes. Um, yeah, because when you let the doctor get too much into her own head, it's not always good. No, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> But yes, arachnids in the UK. <laughs> I am already revisiting Planet of the Spiders from the Third Doctor era, <laughs> just in case there are any throwbacks or tidbits that I might be able to pick up from this week's episode. So, in other words, you're hoping that Chris lied about this being a, I'm not going to show classic villains. <laughs> the idea, though, Paul, is that when you say <laughs> classic villains, it doesn't necessarily mean classic Doctor Who. It means classic <laughs> as in the big ones, as in the Daleks, the Cybermen, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things, you know. You, you can take that a couple of different ways, Paul. <laughs> and let's be honest, um, these spiders have already had a similar kind of entity in the modern era. Episode Turn Left, where there's the mm-hmm. the bug on Donna's back. Yeah, that... Both of those, the the Planet of the Spiders and that turn left, kind of messed with my head. Uh, I'm not a bug person anyway, and to see those things on those people just kind of, you know. So you're really excited for arachnids in the UK. Well, Paul wants all the spiders. In 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 the right context, <laughs> it doesn't bother me as much. I mean, I can watch arachnophobia and I'm okay, but. I don't like, I don't like to giant, you know, kind of creepy crawly kind. You know what I'm saying? That's it, it, just not my thing. <laughs> so as long as the spiders are burning in fire, you're good. <laughs> oh, got it. All right. Well, is there anything else you wanted to bring up and discuss here in this episode? I think we pretty much covered it all. Unless you really want to get into some deep social commentary, which I don't think we have enough time for at this point. I don't think we um, do either. <laughs> and it's late. And I'm tired. Um, and I'm already emotionally drained yeah. from what we've already discussed. <laughs> so, Yeah. I, I think if we really try to get into some deep, deep social commentary, we'd probably be here for another two or three hours. And I just don't have time for that. So. <laughs> we will let you contemplate that. Because that's what this yes. episode wants us to do. Is It wants us right. to contemplate and address these issues in our own lives. And where we might encounter similar things, so and, and I'm not I'm not so convinced that people would want to sit and listen to us for that long anyway. <laughs> he has a point, everyone. <laughs> and so, with that, so we do not overstay our welcome. Be sure to get in touch with us. Uh, you can always contact us on our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash/talkingtimelords. Uh, There is a link there to our Facebook group if you want to get more in-depth in discussion, so check out that page as well. Our Twitter account is at TalkingTimeLord. I'm in the process of resurrecting that Twitter account, so uh, you will probably see 
more activity over there. So if you are on Twitter, check us out there. You can always email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. If you forget any of those links, just visit our website, TalkingTimeLords.com, and we've got links to all of our social media, as well as links to every single one of our previously released episodes, where you can get awesome looks at the artwork that Paul creates for each of these episodes. So be sure to check out our website. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 88 on time in Montgomery. Paul, I'm Jason. And remember, until next time, may you hope for our flung hopes and always, always have the dream. Thanks, everybody. Nope. The lyrics. Nope. Um, you you trying to sing? <laughs> uh, maybe I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe not. I'll let you make that call. I'm not saying you can't sing. I'm just saying that's not the song. <laughs> I can't sing either. Um. <laughs>